page 901 of the Blue Pew Bible in front of you or around you. We're going to continue a series we started a few weeks ago in this section of John, which is Jesus' last words to his disciples. Already, as Jesus has been speaking with them since chapter 13, verse 31, up through to verse, chapter 14, verse 7, which is where we ended last time. We're going to pick up in verse 8 today of chapter 14. Already, we have been following this conversation going on between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has, has dropped the bomb on them, has, has delivered this news. He is about to leave them. And we've seen how instantly they want more information. They, they want to know where he's going and how it is they can get to where he is. And Jesus has told them he's going to his father. And they will only get there when he comes back to bring them. Now in the interaction thus far, which Jesus has had specifically with two disciples, Peter and Thomas. Both Peter and Thomas have presented misconceptions about how we get to God. Both, both of them had some skewed idea of what that meant and how it happens in our life. Peter thought that he could do it. And Thomas didn't think the way was known. And now in our passage this morning, Philip is going to introduce yet another misconception. Now, all of Jesus' teaching, before we read our passage this morning, all of his teaching in this section of John has to do with a big theme. And that theme is life with God. In every section from John 13, 33 to the end of chapter 16, even in his prayer in chapter 17, Jesus teaches his disciples what God is doing through the three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and what they are doing to give them, the disciples, life with God. And Jesus is going to do that again with Philip. He is going to correct Philip's misconception about how we have life with God, and Jesus is going to do that by pointing to himself. So that's our outline this morning. Philip's misconception and Jesus' correction. As I read this passage now for us, John 14, 8 through 14, see if you can pick up on both those big points. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
you let your eyes wander up the page to John 14, 6, you see there that Jesus has just told his disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. And then he says in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And for some reason, Philip hears this and then says what he says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Did Philip think that Jesus was about to reveal his father to them? Or was Philip confused? Not quite sure what it was Jesus was meaning by what he just said. So he takes what he thinks Jesus is talking about and asks for Jesus to do that. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, when Philip says the father, he's referring to God, the maker the creator of all things who made everything you see and yourself included and me. And and that God, the creator, the father God has communicated to us in his word, the Bible. And there in the word he's given us, he describes himself as existing in three persons, father, son, and spirit. And yet also existing as one God. These three persons all work together in perfect harmony and agreement among themselves. And they work here on earth for the purpose of showing God's greatness in both judging evil and saving sinners from death. Philip's request seems to indicate that he had more of a one person view of God. (laughs) That there was only father God, perhaps. In the coming verses, Jesus will explain that there is a unity of the Trinity, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all united, all one. And knowing one means you know all three. Now, we're not really sure and we're not told what prompts Philip to say what he said. But I do think his words reveal a basic misconception, and it's this. That we can access God the Father aside from Jesus. That we can access God the Father aside from Jesus. Do you see it there? Jesus has just said that no one can come to the Father except through him. He has just said knowing him is the same as knowing the Father. But Philip asked for a scenario that cuts Jesus seemingly out of the picture, at least puts him to the side as just some, some kind of introductory agent between Philip and the Father. All Jesus needs to do for Philip in Philip's mind is to introduce Philip to a vision of the Father. Philip doesn't seem to be thinking that he needs to be brought to the Father. Philip wants the Father brought to him. I think, and you can argue with me if you want, that's okay. But I think, in Philip's view, Jesus' ministry among the disciples has been lacking something. He might not have said that, but his words seem to reveal that. Even though Jesus said knowing Jesus means knowing the Father, Philip asked for more revelation. Even though Jesus has said he is the only way of the Father, Philip Need something outside Jesus. Should Jesus provide that thing, that will be enough. Whatever it is that Philip thinks 
Jesus showing in the Father is going to do, it is clear, it seems, that for Philip, Jesus is not enough. Philip wants access to God, but not in a way that happens through Jesus. Now, I'm still not quite sure what it would look like for Jesus to give Philip what he's asking for. Would it be a vision of God? A kind of pulling back the curtain to look into where God the Father is? Nor am I sure what it, what it means and, what, and why Philip thought that whatever it was he was asking for, that that would be enough. Enough for what? Enough for a spiritual experience? Uh, enough for an emotional high? Enough for a profound momentary life-shaping event? Earlier, Catherine read for us about another person who got such a vision of God. Moses on the mountain. He got to see the backside of God's glory as he passed. But that situation did not keep Moses from dying. It it didn't keep him from sinning. Yes, it was a wonderful privilege. But laying eyes on God's glory didn't purify Moses or make him better. And for everyone else who was watching the smoke and the fire up on the mountain, what were they doing? Were they wanting to see Jesus's? Were they wanting to see God's face? Were they wanting a revelation of God's glory? Did they want to see the Father? No, they were saying, do not let God speak to us lest we die. Whatever Philip thought, he was operating under the misconception that the way to the Father through Jesus was not necessary. He seems to want Jesus to serve him, to put put him in front of the Father, and either Philip maybe would take it from there, or he supposed the Father would. And in all this, doesn't this seem so like the way our world operates? People seem to want any other path to God than Jesus. None of the major world religions, save Christianity, recognize Jesus as essential to knowing God. At best, he's a kind of side actor or completely ignored. Instead, people want a vision of God. They want a spiritual experience. They want a guru that leads them in a journey. They want a mystical, drug-induced hallucination. They want some purpose or they want a vague connection to something meaningful. People will try. People will take, follow, buy just about anything. But when Jesus is in front of them, they don't need him. I think even as Christians, we can operate this way sometimes, can't we? How many times have you skipped over Jesus this week? I was convicted by Catherine's prayer of all the ways that we turn and trust ourselves or other things. How often do we bypass him on our way to the thing we think we really need? The thing that we are sure, if it comes, will be enough Getting the daily task done, hitting the milestone, putting that much more in savings, having a certain type of body, having a certain type of wardrobe, reaching a certain position, that will be enough. Philip wanted Jesus to give him, whether he knew what he was asking for or not, he wanted to give him an an experience. 
that would only last for a moment but would do no good for him eternally. Are you living like Jesus is there to give you the experience you want? The life you want? Many times we assume that if Jesus gave us what we wanted today, that would be enough. Even if what he gave had no connection to him or any connection to what he came to bring us. Our complaints and our worries reveal that we don't think Jesus is enough. What we need to have, we don't have. What we need to know, we don't know. That the life we need is a life somehow lived independently from Jesus. It's a terrible misconception to think we have access to God outside of Jesus. Or access to life with God for that matter. If we have fallen into Philip's way of thinking, Jesus has something to say to us. Which leads us to the second part of the sermon. Jesus' correction. Jesus' correction. And it's this, in, a, in one phrase. Jesus' correction to Philip is this. There is life with God through Jesus. There is life with God through Jesus. Not aside from him, but through him. In the previous passage, Jesus said that he's leaving and he's going to come back and bring us to the Father, his, his believers. But here Jesus says he's going to bring the Father to us. And he does this in, in three kind of progressive steps that he explains which kind of build on each other. These are the way that Jesus brings the Father to us through seeing, through believing, and through living. Seeing, believing, and living. So first, we see the Father through Jesus. We see the Father through Jesus. Look again at verse 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Notice right off the bat that Jesus assumes that you and I need to see God. Otherwise, why would this matter? He also assumes that he is the much-needed bridge between humanity and God. Jesus is saying and testifying that he is one and the same with God. He is divine. And so with these eight words, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus endorses Christianity as the only true religion and simultaneously denounces Mormonism, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism, none of which believe Jesus is God. It's his claim, his claim to be one with God that makes all those things categorically untrue. But Jesus is also saying he's different from the Father. And we know that because, unlike Moses on the mountain, Philip could look Jesus in the face and live. They could lay their eyes on him. He, he was there with them. And he's recognizing the Father wasn't. Now, this could have only happened because Jesus, though God, took human form. 
he became like us. What we sang about, and come behold the wondrous mystery. And it is a mystery. It's a mystery that God would do this for us. That the Father would send the Son, and the Son would leave the Father to come to us. Why was Jesus here with those disciples, though one with the Father? He was there so that we would see God and live. And that you hearing their eyewitness testimony would do the same. You see this reversal that God is working over time then. When God created Adam and Eve at the beginning, they were humans bearing God's image. But Adam and Eve fell in sin, as we know, and all humanity, us with them, fell. The image of God marked on humanity was not enough to keep them from sin and death. Then God comes, bearing man's image in Jesus Christ. And God succeeds where man failed. All our praise should go to Jesus for this historic and heroic achievement that he has made for us. Like us, but sinless. Bearing our sin, though he didn't deserve it. I wonder if you're here and you're inclined to think you might care more about God if you could see him. Maybe you wonder if he's even real. Because we can't see the Father. If you saw him, how would you know it was him? What shape, what appearance do you think God should take in making you know that he is real? Why should he do it the way you think it should be done? And are you sure if he actually did it, you could see him and live? Friends, it's possible that God came to earth 2,000 years ago and showed himself, and you and I weren't alive to see it. It's not only possible, that's what's happened. That's what Jesus is telling us. God came to earth in the way he wanted, and Jesus is him. He doesn't have to do it our way. He didn't have to do it any way. And yet he chose to do it this way for our salvation. Christ became like us to become sin for us. To become salvation for us. Brothers and sisters. We both know. That there are many things we wish we knew. But we can't know. But we can know God. Can't we? We can know him in Jesus. Clearly. That's what Jesus is telling us. And that becomes the source of confidence and contentment. For all the other parts of our life as Christians. Especially in times when we feel the weakest. We can see here, Jesus stepped into our weakness to show us the Father. So our weakness, when we feel it and live in it and walk in it, apparently God has designed that to be maybe the best arena in which and from which we can see Christ and through him the Father. And the way that he deals with us and leads us, is faithful to us and holds us up. And teaches us in our weakness and shows his power applied in our situations. In that we can see that what was revealed to Moses is revealed in Christ. That God is the merciful and the compassionate one. If your marriage or other family relationships or close friendships are really gridlocked right now. 
and you're not sure what's going to give, let me suggest that you must see Jesus before things are going to start to change for the good. You must see that there is a human being beside yourself that demands your attention. A perfect, sinless one who died to forgive your sin, who is your only hope because he rose in power to give you life and to change your life. If you encounter Jesus, then you have met the person who can introduce you to his power that can over time produce grace and humility in you. The very things you need to love your spouse well or your family above yourself. Church, we're a diverse group. We come from all different backgrounds, walks of life. We have so many different opinions and preferences on things. But we all know the same father through the same Jesus. The vision of God we have in Christ is meant to be the unifying element of our life together. The gospel he has given us. The life he has shared with us. Christ's statement here is an invitation for us as Warner Road Baptist Church to always collectively emphasize the importance of Jesus in our life together. He is laying himself in front of us as the foundation, the one foundation of our church. Which, you know, is an invitation to us, a gracious one, that we would be collectively committed to taking our eyes off ourselves. Which he'll help us to do. So when you think about Jesus, what is it that you see? What prevents you from seeing what Jesus wants you to see, which is the father through him? There's nothing lacking for seeing God. Jesus says he's provided. He's enough. We don't need Christian movies to illustrate him. We don't need emotionally manipulative worship practices to get us to the next level. We don't need mysterious spiritual gifts. We need to know who Jesus is, his character, his ways, his motivations, and his actions. And we have them already. We see the Father through Jesus. This is how we know the Father. Jesus brings the Father to us so that we can know him. Jesus also, secondly, not just seeing, but Jesus is also how we believe in God. That's the second part of this process. Believing. Jesus is how we believe God. We believe God through Jesus. Look at the second half of verse 9 through verse 11. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. The extent of Philip's request seems to be that that Jesus would show them something as disciples. And Jesus says to them, I have shown you. Jesus' demonstration of God is not lacking. What seems to be lacking is their response of faith and trust. Jesus assumes that a person who has seen him needs to believe him. And if you believe in Jesus, you believe in God. And you flip that statement around and you realize Jesus is also telling us that if you don't believe or believe in Jesus, then you don't really believe or believe in God. Not the true and living God, that is. So people then are like people now, and Jesus understood 
that so many of our habits that we get into with God or that we demand proof before we'll believe. We do that with God. But do we do that with other little g gods in the same way we do it with God? Do we demand the same kind of proof before we believe in them? When was the last time you demanded proof that money would make you happy before you gave your heart to it? Or stop short of letting your feelings drive you to worry or anger, demanding first that you have proof that those reactions will actually help you. We don't do that, do we? But with the one God who is real and alive and powerful and gracious and faithful, he's the one we put under trial. So we see the patience of God here again with us. Jesus understands our weakness. He understands our stubborn insistence that we have proof. And Jesus says, there's plenty of proof. Plenty of proof for you. The proof is in the words. The proof is in his works. If you listen to Jesus, you will hear the Father God speaking through him. If you study Jesus' life, you will see The father doing miraculous things through him. You do not need to go beyond this book to hear God. You don't need any more revelation than what Jesus shows us about himself in these pages. That's helpful for us since we're not the disciples. And we can't actually see him with our our physical eyes like they got to. Which puts even more emphasis on the believing part of our life, doesn't it? Faith is the primary way we relate to our father in this life. And sometimes that can get frustrating because we are built to think naturally that things are more real if we can see them. Our frustration with belief can often lead us to start trying out our trust on things we can see. We look for something we can touch, thinking that must be the real thing to build our life on. But have you ever thought, That living by faith might actually help us to know the Father better than seeing him. If we could see him like Philip asked for, we would be inclined to not question that he exists, maybe. But would we depend on him like we have to when he says he's working, but we can't exactly see how? If we could see his miracles... We might say they're miracles, but will we, we, would we know why they're relevant for us? Faith is good because it confirms that we don't need sight to know God. We just need God living in us. I love how in the Gospels over and over, the people who see Jesus best and believe him immediately are, ironically, blind people. See, belief occurs not when you see God, but when in your heart you embrace that Jesus is God and you leave all your life resting in his hands. Of course, everything Jesus has said and done assures us that this is what we should do. Of course, of course, we can trust the one who speaks so wisely and truly about what's real all throughout his ministry. Of course, we can know his power is sufficient to work in our lives when we read the kinds of things that Jesus is capable of doing. Of course, we can give our lives to the person who gave his life on the cross to save us from our sins. So Jesus is calling out 
He's calling for believers. Believe in him. And that call divides us. There were many people around Jesus for whom words and works from the Father were not enough. If Jesus isn't enough to convince you to believe in God, nothing will be. Is Jesus calling out to you this morning? Is Jesus a dividing line right now preventing you from life with God? See Jesus. See the Father. No Jesus, no life with the Father. Believe in Jesus, his death and resurrection for your life, and you'll live with the Father. There is no other way. For those who are believing in Jesus, remember he said earlier that he'd come back. And, and as our songs indicated, we're still waiting, aren't we? Still waiting for Jesus to come back. He hasn't come back yet. And I hope you see part of the reasoning here in this passage. It's because he's waiting. He's waiting for more people to be challenged by him. To surrender their lives to him. To lay down their stubborn resistance to him. To repent of their sins that separated them from him. And for them to believe him to be the way to the Father. He's waiting so that people might know him. More people. And he's waiting... Because as he waits, we who believe in him are becoming more like him. More of us is becoming more like Christ. Doesn't doesn't this twin reality of what Jesus is doing in the waiting time, both making us like Christ and making Christ known to others to save them, doesn't that make the trials of time easier to endure as a Christian? With every day we linger here in our mortal broken bodies, we're becoming more like Christ. And more people in our city and in our world are seeing and believing in Jesus, which is eternal life for them. If Jesus is waiting, we can wait for him. Church, while we wait, we must keep insisting that Jesus is the foundation of our belief and practice as a church. That we will stand on that rock. When we're planning as a church, we're trusting Jesus to lead us. When we're working through conflict, we're wanting to reconcile around Jesus. When we're following our pastors, we're following out of reverence for Jesus. When we're serving one another, we're serving out of love for Jesus. When we're preaching or engaging our community or walking alongside someone in joy or in trial, we are encouraging the people to, we talk to to believe and believe in Jesus. We have access to the Father through Jesus. Through Jesus, we see the Father. Through him, we believe the Father. Jesus has one more thing to teach us for life with God in this passage. And it's this. We live with God through Jesus. Through Jesus. Look at verse 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name... This I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, when I read those verses, it's the second part that really sticks out to me, the prayer part, the asking and the, and the receiving. And that's obviously important because Jesus says it twice, essentially, in a little bit different way. But before we get to that, 
See that Jesus is now describing to the disciples what life will look like for them after he has left and gone to the Father. What is that life can look like? Well, it's going to be a life full of activity with Jesus. And it's going to be a life full of asking Jesus. Activity and asking. Look at all the mention of doing. In other words, activity in these verses. And as I read them, see that the disciples doing is inseparably linked to prayer and to what Jesus is doing. So we read, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. But then when he talks about asking, he says, this I will do. I will do it. You see what's happening in this passage? Seeing and believing Jesus is the way we come to live united to Jesus such that his work is no longer what is done around us or even to us, but through us. How is that possible? Well, stay tuned to this sermon series because soon Jesus is going to explain that he's sending a helper, his spirit, to live in us with the power of God. When Jesus lived here on earth, he told us the Father's words. He did things that demonstrated to people that the Father is real and to be trusted in. But Jesus wasn't going to be staying. So who is going to pick up that work? The people he comes to live in through faith. The church. The Christian. Most immediately, it's here, the disciples who in the coming years will pick up the testimony about Jesus and the Father, and they'll take it to the furthest reaches of the world. You read about that in the book of Acts. And this is what I think Jesus means by the word greater. Greater. A difference of range, not of quality. See, Jesus' works will largely be confined to Jerusalem and the nearby areas, but the apostles' witness would carry news about Jesus far and wide. Greater. The fact that you and I are bearing and carrying the gospel in Kansas City today, which didn't exist when Jesus said these words, proves Jesus' point. Greater works being done. Jesus never intended his church to be a place where people huddle in fear of the outside world. Shrinking back from engaging a culture opposed to Christianity. No, he wants us to know that his world-changing message needed to go further. And he's chosen us to take it. When we live with Jesus, his mission becomes ours. He hands off his work to you, Christian. Go and tell about the holy and merciful father who extends an invitation to life with him to any sinner. Go and show this father through your compassion and your kindness, through courage in the face of evil and patience under trial. But how will we know if we have what we need to do Jesus's work? How will we know we have what we need to engage in this life of Jesus united activity? It's because we have Jesus with us. And we need only ask him for anything we lack. Look at the path this passage travels. Philip began assuming Jesus lacked something only a vision of the Father could give. Only that revelation would be enough. But throughout the passage, it's the disciples. And it's us through them who realize we don't have enough. (laughs) Not enough to see the Father on our own. Not enough faith to see the Father in Jesus. Not enough power or resources to work for the Father on our own. And in every aspect of our need or lack, Jesus is enough. 
So he tells Philip, all you got to do is ask me. Christian, all you got to do is ask Jesus. If in the life of giving your life to Jesus' work, you find you lack the strength, ask Jesus. If in the grind of sorrows and sins, you lose sight of the love of Jesus, ask Jesus. If in the trials of rejection or disappointment, your resolve of faith wanes, ask Jesus. Jesus came with a resolve to glorify his Father in his life, death, and resurrection. He came to love the Father with all his might, with all he did. He came to make the Father known so sinners could come to him. And now, Christian, he is helping you. He's helping you to do the same. And he's promised every resource he has will be at your disposal. When you ask Jesus in his name, this means you're asking for something you lack. And something you need from Jesus in order to do his work. That principle has kind of a clarifying impact on what we pray for. When you ask Jesus in his name, this means you're asking for something you lack And something you need from Jesus to do his work. So you're asking for more faith. More love. More kindness. More boldness to speak. More compassion to care. More wisdom to think. Less self. Less sin. More fruit. More people saved and baptized. More hearts changed. As my friend John Onwachekwa writes. This makes the process of prayer seem as vital as breathing. As if our inhale is, Jesus, I need you. And the exhale is, Jesus, I have you. Unlike Philip's misconception, life with God is not independent of Jesus. Life with God depends on Jesus. So he's ready for you. He's ready to hear about your weakness and your dependence. He's ready for your tears and our joys. He's prepared to hear our one-word whispers for help when unbelief seems to squelch any other words from our lips. And however brief the asks, know that our prayers go to Jesus, who is one with the Father, the Ancient of Days, the Almighty and Victorious King of Glory, the Resurrected Savior. Jesus is committing himself in this passage To apply his power as a direct answer to your prayers in his name. If we are weary in prayer and we are laboring to believe that our prayers do anything at all. Then perhaps we will be helped to shift our attention to Jesus this morning. After all, it's not what our prayers do. It's what he does in answer to our prayers. So take verse 12, 13, and 14 and take it into your prayer time this week. Talk to Jesus about what he wants to do through you. Then go from your prayers into your life with his repeated promise impressed on your heart and mind. Jesus says, I will do. Join us Wednesday night as we gather as a church to pray for what we need to live for the glory of the Father through his Son. There's so much assurance here. So much assurance for us as a church as we walk through transition. Ask Jesus. And so much assurance there is for us as we come to the Lord's table. See here, there's nothing lacking for our life with God. Here at the table are the visible symbols that even before we asked out of our need, Jesus gave. He gave his body, he gave his blood, he gave his life to secure our life with God. Jesus is enough, and that's what the table declares.
But before we come to this table, we should use John 14 as a way to examine our hearts. Have you truly seen Jesus in the face of Christ? Have you believed him to be the Son of God sent from the Father to bring salvation to your heart? Are you today seeking to live with him and for him? And have you joined with his people in his work that he's doing?